Welcome to the Zen Stoic Path. In this episode, we are going to be discussing a topic that I like to call the false philosophy trap. Now, this is something that I was reminded of as I've been listening to a new book recently, and the book is called How to Think Like a Roman Emperor by Donald Robertson, and it is a fantastic book, mainly aimed at uncovering and discussing the philosophies of Marcus Aurelius, and gives you a quite an insight into Marcus Aurelius' meditation, the way that Marcus came up, his whole foundation in life, tells his backstory and everything, and it's a fascinating read or listen, depending on how you're consuming the content. But it brought something up to me, which I thought was really interesting. And it's this idea of the false philosophy trap. And the reason why I call it the false philosophy trap is because what it seems to be, or what it really comes down to, is this idea of wisdom versus wanting to look wise. And this is something that we all experience, whether It was something that you learned and you wanted to express so that other people would think higher of you. They would think that you're clever or that you're smart or that you're wise. Or if it was something that maybe you posted on social media or that you saw someone else post on social media that wasn't really congruent with who you are and how you act in life. But you did it or that other person did it for the purposes of garnering attention. And this is something that is important to discuss because sometimes instead of doing the things that make us wise in life, we often fall into the trap of wanting to look wise. And there's a very important distinction here because this trap keeps us from being able to actually fulfill our development. It prevents us from being able to continue to evolve our character. It reminds me of a quote from Alan Watts that I always really like to describe this. And the quote is, This is therefore to say, the transformation of human consciousness through meditation is frustrated so long as we think of it as something that I by myself can bring about by some sort of wangle, by some sort of gimmick. Because you see, it leads to endless games of spiritual one-upsmanship and of the guru competition, of my guru being more effective than your guru. My yogas are faster than your yoga. I am more aware of myself than you are. I am humbler than you are. I am sorrier for my sins than you are. I love you more than you love me. There's this interminable goings-on where people fight and wonder whether they are a bit more evolved than somebody else, and so on. Alan Watts. Now, this is an interesting concept in the idea of actually gaining wisdom and attempting to look wise for others because the attempt to look wise or to appear that you are clever or that you have profound wisdom or that you are more enlightened or more aware of yourself than other people is this game of one-upsmanship. And it is deeply, and it is deeply diluted through the intention or the delusion of performance. In other words, by going into this type of mentality, which I absolutely have done myself, and I had done it for a long time in the past, especially when I first got into this industry of coaching and personal development, I had been the person who wanted to look wise. I wanted to be the the, the most clever and say the things that contained the most wisdom and always wanted to espouse myself as more aware than other people. But what this did is it only diluted me from my actual sincere expression of myself. What happens when we try to look wise or when we try to appear as though we have it all together 
to the world outside of us, where we try to hide our mistakes, is we not only prevent ourselves from having any sort of sincerity, but we stop trusting ourselves in that process. And we instead start trusting in the off chance that the image we're portraying is going to get us what we want, the kind of attention that we want. So going back to the book, How to Think Like a Roman Emperor, I thought it was really interesting because there's a part in the book where it's talking about Marcus's upbringing and how the emperor Hadrian had chosen Marcus as the Caesar to one day take his place. And Hadrian was a friend of Epictetus, but Hadrian was no philosopher himself and was consumed in consistent one-upsmanship, always superficially showing off his learnings and not really embodying what philosophy was there to teach. And Donald Robertson went on to discuss how Epictetus always warned his students not to confuse academic learning with wisdom and to avoid at all costs, petty arguments, hair-splitting on definitions within philosophy, or wasting time on abstract academic concepts that didn't actually help one with their character. There's a fundamental difference between philosophy and rhetoric. And rhetoricians love praise from an audience. It is a very superficial desire that they're fulfilling. They're fulfilling that desire, that delusion of performance. And, that will, and on the other hand, philosophers want to improve themselves and those who they teach by delivering wisdom and virtue, not necessarily praise and attention from an audience. Because rhetoric is entertainment. It's pleasant to listen to. Whereas philosophy is a moral and psychological therapy. And it embraces humility. In order to practice philosophy effectively, we must be sincere with ourselves. Because if we're not, then we're missing the point altogether. And typically, the truth is painful to hear. And philosophy is about examining your character, examining who you are and why you're making the decisions that you're making. And if you're using Zen Stoic philosophy, for instance, what you're examining is your intentions. And sometimes it may hurt to realize that maybe you were intending performance just to garner some attention. Or maybe you were intending expedience just to not have to do the thing that was difficult to do, whether that's working out, starting the business, having the tough conversation with your spouse. When you really look at it, the reason why the intentions and delusions exist within Zen Stoicism is because the intentions are something that you cannot hide from yourself. You can hide it from the world, but you can't hide it from yourself. And it may not always be obvious as a conscious thought, but you will always feel something. The emotions are the compass that point you in the direction of realizing whether there's a signal going off that says, hey, my intention is in the space of delusion, or it's signaling that, hey, I'm in the right space of intentionality right now. And we use our emotions, whether it's the mildest agitation or it's some extreme kind of triggering, to determine whether or not your intention is aligned with who you are and your intentionality pointing you back to your humanity. So being that the intentions are something that we can't hide from ourselves, this falls into that realm of philosophy where it takes humility, it takes honesty, it takes asking yourself what's wrong or what could I do better or what has been the problem up until this point? Where have I lacked responsibility in the areas that I'm dissatisfied in. This is real philosophy. This is really digging into the truth 
of who you are. And oftentimes, the practice of philosophy is not a pleasant one. The results become pleasant because they become fulfilling. They're meaningful to our character development, to our lives. But oftentimes, the process causes us to face things that we've maybe hidden from ourselves. It's like as Epictetus would say, the philosopher's school is a doctor's clinic. You should not go there expecting pleasure, but rather pain. Now, that kind of a statement, I think, from Epictetus is a bit extreme because it's not always painful. That's not an absolute necessarily. But the amount of pain you experience in giving yourself the honest feedback or the truth, I think, is in direct proportion to how much resistance you have to whatever it is that you're facing plus how much attachment you have to your current narrative or identity. The combination of the attachment to your identity plus your resistance to maybe the thing you don't want to admit to yourself is going to determine how painful a philosophical exercise of self-examination might be. So this is something to keep in mind. You doesn't have to be a painful process necessarily, but it does cause us to look at our own faults. It does cause us to admit where we're wrong. And for some people, they're not in a place yet where they're ready to admit that they're wrong. They're still trying to kind of catch up and build a sense of feeling good about themselves, which is totally cool, right? That's the phase I was in. There was a long, long time before I got to this point of studying Zen and Stoicism where I never wanted to admit that I was wrong. I was actually very good at justifying and explaining my reasoning away of why I had the faults that I had, why I had the perceived limitations, and why I would act in ways that, you know, maybe were unkind or dishonest to other people. I had all the reasons and I felt very just in that. And it was a period of time where simultaneously I had a very low self-esteem. And this was probably just a just before and into the early stages of my coaching career. So this was, you know, a few years before and then going into the early stages of me being in the coaching industry. I remember I still had a pretty low self-esteem. So this idea of trying to look clever, trying to look wise, lying to myself, justifying my faults away and telling myself stories, that was in an attempt to feel better about myself due to the low self-esteem. But what I realized is that trying to soothe that low self-esteem with stories and justifications, all that was really doing was managing the pain that I had. It was maintaining the pain instead of solving the cause of what brought it about. So maintaining something is not going to necessarily solve the problem. Therefore, if you want to feel good about yourself, you can get into the rhetoric. You can look clever. You can tell yourself stories and give yourself justifications for why maybe the results that you have in any one area of life are not where you want them to be. However, if you want to cleanse yourself of that wound up emotion and wound up conflict within you, using philosophy to examine your own character is one way to do it. It's not always easy or pleasant in the beginning, but it is always fulfilling and meaningful. It lifts a weight off your chest. The old saying, and the truth shall set you free, and it does. It doesn't set you free because it necessarily creates a difference in your life circumstance, but it creates a difference in your perception of yourself. You're no longer holding on to the weight of a false narrative, 
and trying to appease this narrative or show yourself as something that you're not. You're no longer having to wear a mask to present yourself to the world, but instead you're able to be sincere. And the beginnings of that sincerity is asking yourself where you haven't taken responsibility, what your role is in the dissatisfactions of your own life. We can think of it the way Seneca would say it. Let philosophy scrape off your own faults rather than be the way to rail against the faults of others. This, again, is also a very important point. The reason being is because it's not just about us using philosophy as a way of presenting ourselves as good, but it's also not using philosophy as a way to cut others down. We use it to scrape off our own faults, not to necessarily cut down others. It's the same thing even when you think about the intentions and delusions. The intentions and delusions are meant to be a personal experience, a personal exercise of self-examination. If you're walking around and somebody's doing something and you're like, hey, that guy is intending control and performance and that's why he's acting that way, that's not going to help you. <laughs> if, if that's what's happening, if that's how you've used the delusions, and I will, I will admit to you right now that I have already done that. Being the person who created or discovered these delusions and intentions, I've already done that and I've caught myself. What we want to remember about that <clears throat> is that it's very easy to try to use philosophy to rail against others in order to make yourself feel bigger. It's the same idea of being a hater or being a troll and trying to cut people down in order for your self-esteem or your self-worth not to feel so low. But keep in mind that that's not the intention. Philosophy is a very personal experience. It's not meant to necessarily make you look great to everybody. and It's also not meant to cut other people down and make yourself feel better. And it's also important to remember Another piece of Epictetus's wisdom, which is that philosophy does not propose to secure a man for any external thing. And if it did, or if it were not, as I say, philosophy would be allowing something to which is not within its province. So philosophy does not promise anything external. It doesn't guarantee you a result. It doesn't even guarantee you that you are going to feel better. But it does provide you a tool a resource, a path towards self-discovery, towards taking ownership of you. And if you're using it for anything other than that, whether that's to garner attention and look good or to cut someone else down, then it's not going to give you what it promises. If you're using it to get rich <laughs> or get a certain type of status in the world, it's not going to promise you that and it's not going to give you that. Used correctly, philosophy will help you free yourself from your own self-imposed delusions. It is something that we are able to practice. It is something very personal to you. And you use it in the way that creates the most meaning in your life. And to pursue what is meaningful often foregoes instant gratification on the way to get there. So it doesn't always feel good in the moment but it is what is most meaningful and will create the most fulfillment, the most inner peace. We use philosophy because it helps us to create that unshakable inner peace. So ask yourself, what areas of my life have I not taken responsibility in? What has been my role in my own dissatisfactions? And lastly, what is most meaningful to me what must I do to keep my focus on that?